The reading from today will be taken from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. May the Lord bless his reading. Father, we thank you for uh, these, these verses that Paul wrote for us so many years ago, but we thank you that they are true and they are relevant to us today. We thank you that the world that Paul lived in and the world that we live in is the same world, and the challenge that you give to us today is the same challenge that Paul had to give in his day. Help us to understand how you would have us live in this world, and we pray this for your glory. Amen. Every year, billions or millions of pounds and uh, countless books and articles and journals and blogs are written uh, in the great pursuit of trying to understand our times, uh, trying to work out the trends and patterns that are emerging in society as a whole. I was at a, at a lecture recently by one social commentator, and he, he had 36 points that he was trying to get across about how he thought culture and the world was changing before our very eyes. But it is a big business trying to understand our times and to commentate on how the world is changing, spotting the trends that are emerging. It is big business, but it is a business that Christians are called to be involved in. We are called to be social commentators. We are called to understand the times that we live in. In Jesus' day, uh, apparently people were able to look around them at the sky and to predict the forecast. Uh, they clearly didn't live in, in this country. Um, I don't know about you, but I was absolutely shocked this morning to wake up and find it snowing. I had no idea that was coming. But Jesus says to his disciples, um, forget the weather forecast. You're meant to, to be able to look around at the spiritual climate and forecast what is happening in people's hearts and minds. Christians are called to understand the times and the seasons. And don't worry, I haven't got 36 points this morning, but there are two particular trends that I think are emerging. I'm no social commentator, but there are two well-known trends that are emerging that Paul speaks into powerfully from Colossians 4. The first trend is this. There is a growing ignorance about Christianity and about the church in the world today. Uh, last week I was getting my hair cut and uh, we were having a, a nice conversation, uh, myself and the barber, and uh, it emerged in the conversation that I go to a church. And you can just tell a sort of sense of awkwardness instantly. He wasn't quite sure what to say to me, so he sort of 
mumbled out, oh, is it a good church? And I said to him, it's an excellent church, although I should add that I actually work for it as well, so I'm probably a bit biased. But again, the sort of awkwardness, what do you say next? So he said, tell me, what happens at church? He had no idea what happened at church. He had never been to church. And he is not alone. Increasingly, we live in a world that has no idea about what happens at church and, more importantly, no idea about what Christians believe. That is the first trend. Uh, The second is this. There is a growing desire for a sense of meaning to life. A growing desire for a framework to live life by. Uh, a few years ago, uh, all the, um, the top philosophers were talking about postmodernity. It was all the rage about how there was no absolute truth, just sort of private truth that we all uh, hold on our own. But people have begun to realize that you just cannot live life without truth. It is impossible on the grounds not to have some basic answers to life, some absolutes, things like, who am I? Why am I here in this world? What happens to me when I die? And so for the last five or ten years, postmodernity is no longer the hot potato in the academy. People know it doesn't work on the grounds. But as people have walked away from church, they've also walked away from the framework that they used to have to give them answers to life. And there is a vacuum in this world longing for some truth to live life by. That is the second trend that I think uh, is well known in the world around us today. Our reading from Colossians 4 speaks into a world which is remarkably similar to our world today. The world that the Colossians found themselves living in was a world that did not know much about church or about what Christians believe. It was also a world that was seeking meaning and seeking answers in life. And in that context, Paul makes a great appeal to the Colossians. And the basic point, I think, of these verses is this. Paul says, don't wait for the world to come to church. Take church to the world. Or perhaps more accurately, don't wait for the world to come looking for the gospel. No, take the gospel to the world. That is, I think, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying in these famous verses in Colossians 4. Don't wait for the world to come looking for the gospel. Take the gospel to the world. Now, this is not an easy thing to do. If we've tried it, we know that it is, it is hard. Often, the world does not want to know. But Paul understands that this is not an easy task. And so, in our reading this morning, he gives us, I think, two crucial reminders that will help us as we seek to take the gospel to the world. So I've got two two points, two reminders that Paul gives us to help us take the gospel to the world. The first is this, remember who is in charge of the world. Remember who is in charge of the world. Uh, The section begins at verse 2 with a call from Paul to be devoted to prayer. And in many ways, prayer is simply an acknowledgement on our part that we do not rule the world, but that God does. He's the one in charge of the world. 
But very quickly, Paul uh, becomes very specific about the kinds of prayers he wants these Colossians to pray. So verse 3, he says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Paul prays that they may that God may open a door for him. Now, some people think that Paul is praying for a release from prison. So Paul is praying for a very physical door to be opened, that he may be physically released from prison, where he's clearly in change at this, at this point, so that he can continue his missionary journeys around the world preaching the gospel. And this may be true, but I am in, I'm inclined to think that Paul is thinking first and foremost about spiritual doors about a spiritual access into people's lives and hearts. I say this because in verse 3 and verse 4, Paul's main goal is, is proclamation, not freedom. And also I think that because uh, throughout Paul's ministry in the New Testament, it seems that it matters very little to Paul whether he is in prison or out of prison. Either way, for Paul, he, he can find a way to preach the gospel if... God opens a door for his message. So think of that famous account of Paul and Silas in Acts 16, in prison and in chains. Remember how the account goes, verse 25, I'll, just, I'll read it for you. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Why would you be singing and praying at midnight in a prison? It would be awfully annoying, wouldn't it, if you were a fellow inmate, these two chaps just uh, making a great commotion. But no, it seems that people were listening. They wanted to hear what Paul and Silas were on about. The prison doors were closed, but the spiritual doors were open for Paul. So why do you think time and again Paul had such amazing open doors for the gospel, whether he was in chains or not? Well, at least in part, the reason why he had open doors was because people, like the Colossians, were praying for him that God would open a door for his message. Paul knows his limitations. He knows he's not Superman. He knows he can't crowbar his way into an impossible position. But he does also believe in a sovereign God who is in charge of the world, who can and does open doors into people's lives and hearts if only people would pray for him. And so Paul says, pray for me. Remember who is in charge of the world. We have this great appeal to not wait for the world to come to the church, but to take the gospel to the world. But first of all, we need to remember who's in charge of the world. There really is a God who, when we kneel down in our rooms on our own and pray, he hears those prayers and thousands of miles away, he can be opening a door for the person we've prayed for. A few years ago, I was involved in a mission up north near Manchester. Uh, you could tell it was up north because people actually talked to you in the streets. They were friendly and wanted to kind of get to know you. And um, we were having a very good week. Um, it, was, um, it was a very uh, blessed time in many ways. 
But as the week was drawing towards the end, I, I was getting nervous because I was due to preach on the, on the closing Sunday morning. And, well, I hadn't quite got around to preparing my sermon um, before the week began. And I was trying to frantically finish off my sermon. And so on the Saturday morning, I, I sort of snuck away from the group and I went to a coffee shop craving some peace and quiet where I could just settle down with my books and finish off my sermon for Sunday. And I was about five minutes in to my, my work when a lady came up to me and asked me what I was doing. I was like, no one asks me what I'm doing normally. So I kind of gently told her I was, what I was doing. And to my horror, she sat down and started talking to me about Christian things. And I, I was trying to convey this sense of, well, you know, I love to talk, but actually I'm really busy and I've got this important sermon to write and maybe just leave me alone. But she kept talking to me. And then she brought her two friends over from across the coffee shop. I was like, oh, no. Ten minutes later, the whole coffee shop, it wasn't a large coffee shop, but the whole coffee shop were gathered around my little table, quizzing me on Christian things for an hour. The owner rocked up and joined us. And I was in agony. I said, I've got this sermon to write tomorrow, and I've got nothing, and just leave me alone. And it wasn't until a few hours later that the penny dropped what was going on. You see, the team had been praying all week that God would open a door for our message and he had opened a door for our message in that coffee shop. Let me just tell you, I had done nothing to open the door. In fact, I was trying to close it as fast as I could. <laughs> and yet, I believe in a God who was in charge of the world. And he had caused that lady to come over to me and to talk to me. I don't know what happened. I, I, didn't, I haven't seen her since. But the gospel was from, explained in a sort of nervous and rushed way. But it, it was explained. Remember who's in charge of the world. I fear as a church that we need to hear this message. Are we a church that is known for its prayer for doors to be opened? This is a question for each of us on our own. To what extent do we, on our own each day, maybe each week, get down on our knees and pray for other Christians? Maybe it's our family members. Maybe it's mission partners that we support at St. Andrews. Uh, maybe it's Alex involved in the school's chaplaincy work as she goes into those schools. Do we believe in a God who can sovereignly open doors into people's hearts and minds so that the gospel can be proclaimed? If we do, we will be praying. Or what about in our uh, small groups after we finish our, our Bible study in our house groups? What do we pray for? Maybe at our, 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 our gatherings at a, at a large group, what's on our hearts and minds? Paul is clear that he needs other Christians to be praying for him that God will open doors. He is not Superman. He cannot crowbar his way into a brick wall. But if the sovereign Lord opens up doors for the gospel, then he can speak as he should. We have this great mission to take the gospel to the world, but first of all, we need to remember who's in charge, which means we'll be praying That's the first reminder. Uh, Secondly, remember what we have to offer the world. Remember what we have to offer the world. Um, Paul turns his focus away from how he wants us to be praying, and now he turns it on to how we should be behaving day in, day out. And time is short, so I just want to focus on on one verse, verse 6. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
I think this is a great um, little snapshot of how Paul himself was trying to live and how he wants each of us to live as we wait for God to open up that door for our message. And two things jump out. Paul wants us to, to, to be those who are full of grace and also full of salt in how we speak and I guess also how we behave. And, and by grace, I think Paul means that uh, the way we speak and live and also what we talk about should be shot through and through with grace. It means that our lives should exude a a spirit of grace. Grace in how we treat our colleagues and how we respond to our parents or our children. Uh, Grace when we think about our priorities and our worldviews. Grace when we look back at our lives and the blessings that God has given us, recognizing they come As a gracious gift from him. What about salt? Well, salt is used a lot in different ways in the Bible. I think for me, the particular way that Paul is talking about here is is how bars and hotels use salt up and down the country. Uh, They know that if you want people to buy more drinks, then you leave out a little bowl of uh, crisps or or salty nuts that people just kind of grab and eat. And oh, I'm thirsty. I'll buy buy another, another drink. Salt creates a thirst for more. And I think what Paul has in mind here is a Christian who, by the way they talk and live, creates a thirst amongst the watching world to find out what exactly makes the Christian tick. What is going on in their lives? Why are you gracious? Why don't you gossip? Why don't you make your career the the be-all, end-all of your lives? Why do you clock off and go home to be with your family, to love them and serve them? What, What is it that makes you tick? You see, grace, God's uh, outrageous riches to us, is a message that makes no sense to the outside world unless you understand the gospel. And our lives should make no sense to the watching world. The way that we set our priorities and the way that we treat other people and how we talk should puzzle people. It should confuse them. It should almost annoy them. Like salt, it should provoke them to want to ask, what is it? Why do you talk like that? Why are you gracious? And the door is opened for a conversation. But I think behind all this is the reminder that Paul says, remember what you have to offer the world. Primarily, we don't have a neat set of tidy arguments about Christianity that will wow the academics, although there are good reasons why you should be a Christian. Now, at the heart of Christianity is the message of grace that God sent his son into the world to die for us while we are still sinners. And because of that death on our behalf, our identity is secure forever. We don't need our work to prove ourselves. We don't need our education or letters after our names to show people that we've been successful in life. No, we are successful, we are loved, because Christ died for us. It's because of grace. And that is what a watching world needs. The world needs grace. It is grace that will attract people, that will cause that salty appetite for more. I think Paul has in mind here a a life lived in front of a watching world that is distinct. And when the conversation comes up. When people ask, that's when Paul says, go for it. Make the most of every opportunity. 
Don't bring your sledgehammers and crowbars to work. Bring grace and salt to work. And then wait for God to open the doors. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't speak about the gospel and speak up for Christ. But we're not being called to sort of sledgehammer our way into people's lives. That would be odd and weird and and stressful. But we are called to live a, a provocative life. A life of grace and saltiness that provokes people to ask us, what on earth are you on about? Just as we finish, um, Paul White reminded me this week of, a, of, of an equation that um, Bill Hybels, who is a, a pastor in the U.S., uses, which I think is very helpful here. Uh, Bill Hybels says this, uh, when you have high proximity plus high integrity, you get high impact. High proximity, high integrity equals high impact. And that is straight from Colossians 4. See, if we have high proximity to a watching world, if we're not just stuck in a little bubble, but we're actually out in the world getting to know people, making friendships, high proximity, and if we are living a life of high integrity, which means we're living a life which is grace-filled, for that is what we are as Christians, surely, living a life of integrity, there will be high impact We don't know how, we can't second guess when, but it will happen. And especially if people are praying for us as we go into our workplaces and at the school gates and in the hospital surgeries. Our world is changing. People no longer flock to church as they used to. But in the context where the world has has left church, we have, I believe, an un paralleled opportunity to speak into a world longing for meaning, thirsty for knowledge and truth and grace. We are called to take the gospel out of church and into a world, and the world is thirsty. So let's go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that What it means for us to be a Christian means grace. That we are simply recipients of your outrageous kindness to us. Father, please help us to be Christians of integrity this week. That you would help us to convey something of that grace reality in our lives, in our conversations. I dare to pray for each one of us here today that you would open up a door somewhere, somehow, that we may... Speak of the grace that we've received. In Jesus' name, amen.